Today's lesson is written in Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. If you're visiting with us, uh, just as a way of introduction, I'm Pastor Mark Juliet, missions pastor here at Alleluia, or also known as Irving Carter. During the week at VBS game, uh, warden at the preserve here at VBS uh, Bible Camp. So it was a great week for the kids uh, during this, this week where they are learning more about God's goodness and God's love for them. Uh, we, as a father, I have been so blessed to experience God's goodness and God's love, and I think about how proud I am of my kids. And those of you who are fathers, uh, as you reflect on, on Father's Day, too, you're, obviously your thoughts turn towards your kids and how thankful and proud you are, are for them and, and thankful for them as well. Uh, Martin Luther, who, where we get our name Lutheran Church from, was a father as well. I mean, he was a Catholic father, but then as, as he um, kind of went uh, a different direction, he got married, uh, he had a family, and one of his favorite things was being a father. And he loved, loved his kids so much. As we're in this series, we're talking about what it, what it is to live life as Lutherans. We're, we're in a Lutheran church. We don't always lift that up, but it's Alleluia Lutheran Church. And in this series, we're lifting up what does the Lutheran mean. And we have many of our, our folks that are in this congregation that don't have a Lutheran background, come from other traditions, other backgrounds, or maybe... Uh, nominal church background or none, none at all. Maybe you're newer to the faith as well. So we get a lot of questions from people that, that we w- we're kind of addressing some of those things during this series and why do we believe certain ways or do certain things within the Lutheran church in particular, the Lutheran um, uh, tradition within Christianity. So today we ask the question, can my good works earn salvation? Can the good things that I do, can being a good person, does that have anything to do with my salvation, with God's acceptance for me? Have any of you 
or do any of you watch a sitcom called The Good Place? How many of you watch that? Few of you, all right. For the rest of you, just to give you a little bit of an understanding um, for this, and I'm not being uh, compensated for this as a plug for the show, but I do like it. Uh, it is a set, this is, and this is not giving anything away, but it is set in the afterlife. And these, these different characters essentially wake up after they have died, and they're in what they find out is called the good place. And Ted Danson plays a character, a heavenly uh, a character called Michael, and then um, like Kristen Bell is one of the people that has died, and all of these people are trying to figure out how they got to the good place. And here is a scene from one of the early episodes as uh, Ted Danson's character, Michael, talks about how they got there. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to your first day in the afterlife. You were all, simply put, good people. But how do we know that you were good? How are we sure? During your time on Earth, every one of your actions had a positive or a negative value depending on how much good or bad that action put into the universe. Every sandwich you ate, every time you bought a magazine, every single thing you did had an effect that rippled out over time and ultimately created some amount of good or bad. You know how some people pull into the breakdown lane when there's traffic and they think to themselves, ah, who cares, no one's watching. We were watching. Surprise! <laughs> Anyway, when your time on Earth has ended, we calculate the total value of your life using our perfectly accurate measuring system. Only the people with the very highest scores, the true cream of the crop, get to come here to the good place. What happens to everyone else, you ask? Don't worry about it. The point is, you are here because you lived one of the very best lives that could be lived. And you won't be alone. Your true soulmate is here, too. That's right. Soulmates are real. One of the other people in your neighborhood is your actual soulmate, and you will spend eternity together. So welcome to eternal happiness. Welcome to the good place. Sponsored by otters holding hands while they sleep. You know the way you feel when you see a picture of two otters holding hands? That's how you're going to feel every day. It is over-the-top ridiculous, isn't it? I, I mean, the, the, I don't know if you got to see some of those things that he was showing, like the things that you do. Everything is being counted, uh, but there are some pretty funny ones in there. Just ridiculous. The idea of, of all this point system, every little thing you do, even the eating a sandwich can be good or bad. And somehow in this system is measured out and you get points, negative or positive, for it. And then you just want more positive points than negative points. And it's the cream of the crop that gets to go to the good place. Well, we laugh because it's so ridiculous. But how many of us at some level... 
have that little ticker going on in our mind. Like, like we, we, we uh, you know, we hear about grace and we, we know that, but at the same time, there's just this little thing that kind of keeps, keeps track, keeps check, whether it's of other people, like, oh, that person's so wonderful, or man, that person just always has a bad attitude, or, or that person really, uh, there's no way. Or we look at ourselves and we think, am I good enough? I mean, how many people struggle with that idea, am I good enough? Am I good enough for what I experience in life? Am I good enough to be loved by others? Am I good enough to be loved and accepted by God? Even we who preach and talk about God's grace all the time, even we, maybe at some level, if we really admit it, just have that little uncertainty or that little check system going on in the back of our minds. Maybe, maybe works, maybe goodness does have a little something to do with salvation, right? I mean, after all, in the book of James, which is in the Bible, in the New Testament, much to Luther's chagrin because he said that's a, that's, that book isn't worth it, it's not, shouldn't be in the canon, but there it is because he talks a lot about works, even in the Bible, in the book of James, it says faith without works is dead. We have the Ten Commandments, right? These things that God gave to the people of Israel, this checklist of things to do, of things not to do. Isn't that Ultimately, how we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to act, isn't that a guideline for our lives? And then if it's a guideline, can it be a checklist? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with, yeah, you shall not murder. Yeah, check, haven't done that. But, oh, you shall not bear falsehood. Yeah, a little bit, well, not as much there, but hopefully that's balanced out by the other things. Do we, in our good works, play a part in determining something? Or is God's grace really that all-encompassing, that radical, that it really is all grace? Ephesians 2 lays it out for us. We heard that read just a moment ago. And I'm going to read a, a parts of a few verses throughout that. If you have uh, that open, I uh, encourage you to take a look there. Ephesians 2. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. That's pretty straightforward. We were by nature deserving wrath. That's our situation. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when you were dead in your transgressions. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. 
It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And there it is. We are saved by grace through faith. I hope that you have heard that. More than a time or two. I hope you have heard that over and over and over in worship or in learning opportunities. I hope that that is what is going on in your mind because that is key, that is central. And that is something that we as Lutheran Christians in particular are always emphasizing, always lifting up. You are saved by God's grace through faith. Do my works have anything to do with me earning my salvation? The Bible, not just here but in other places, says a resounding no. Amen. I'll have a seat. No. I'll give you a little more. Because even though we hear that over and over, we still struggle, don't we? We, we still struggle with this concept of grace. We still wonder, well, what about this situation? What about that person? What about me? Am I good enough? The late Gerhard Ferdy was a professor at Luther Seminary where both Pastor Tim and I attended uh, just a couple years ago. He says that the issue when it comes to talking about salvation and works is around the words that we use and the paradigm that that evokes. For most things in life, it is conditional. We use if-then statements. If you make your bed, then you can play video games. If you... Uh, get that, land that big contract, then you'll get your bonus. If you get good grades, then you'll get to go to that school or you'll get that scholarship. This is the way the world works. It's the way we tend to think. And so naturally, when it comes to the bigger questions of ultimate acceptance, we tend to apply conditional thinking. If you are a good person then God will accept you. If your good works outweigh your bad ones, then you're in. Ferdy would say that our language around salvation and good works is the problem. We need to drop the conditional statements and simply listen to the proclamation. Of the good news. Because Jesus gave himself for you on the cross, therefore you are forgiven and made righteous in the sight of God. Because Jesus rose again, therefore you have life in his name. The writer of Ephesians speaks of two realms. There at the beginning, in the first couple verses, he speaks about uh, the realm of this world, the one of this world that is ruled by our own self-interests, by the ruler of this world. 
And then there is the one of heaven that he talks about, he moves towards, as he talks about being accepted by God's grace through faith, the, the one that is ruled by Christ. And the second, we are made alive in Christ. One commentary I read about this passage compares it to two houses. Who here has ever moved houses before? Right? I think most of us have at one time or another. And uh, man, what a process that is, isn't it? I mean, it's amazing all the stuff that you collect over time. Then you have to sift through it or else box it up and move it on to the next place. When we moved here from uh, Pontiac, uh, which is where my first call was, rural Pontiac, just about an hour and a half south of here. We, uh, we got the U-Haul, and uh, there was some great people from the congregation that helped us to move in. It was a long day of packing and then unpacking. At the time, it was just me and my wife and then our oldest son, who is now newly married. What? He was two and a half at the time. And it was a long day, and it was starting to get dark outside. We had boxes scattered all over the house. And then at the end of the day, little Nathaniel said, Okay, I want to go back to Pontiac now. I want to sleep in my own room. He didn't understand. He had only known the other house. He had only known that room. He had only known that dwelling place he didn't understand that he's in a new place now and that there is a place there for him his own room and that this is going to be a new life together when we set up a house we do so in a way that reinforces our habits we put the car keys somewhere where we know we can find them when we're rushing off to work or to get to the store we put the things that we most love or, or pictures of people that we, we want to look at all the time, we put them someplace visible so that they can remind us of those things that bring us joy. Our home environment reinforces who we are and how we operate. So the question we might ask ourselves when it comes to works and salvation is this, in whose house am I dwelling? Is it the house of the ruler of this world? Is it the place where I put my own self-interest ahead of everything and everyone else? Or is it in the house of Christ, where love and forgiveness and yes, good works reign? You see, the changing of dwellings, the transfer of the deed from one house to another is the act of grace given freely by our Heavenly Father. We have been moved from the house of this world, from the old Adam, the old Eve, the old self, the old life, through the waters of grace given to us in baptism, we have been connected to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. The deed has been transferred. We are in a new dwelling. 
Now we live in and with Christ. And he lives in and through us. Things are different. That is an act of grace, the gift of God. And it is through faith that we open our eyes to see the new house in which we are dwelling. The problem is, sometimes we long for the old house, don't we? We long for the old ways. We long for the old self. We long for what is familiar. We go back to those habits, that way of thinking. We get fooled into thinking, ah, it's just, I'm on my own. It's what I do. We forget we're in a new place, a new way of being. The new house, our home in Christ forms who we are. Our habits, our priorities, our way of being is shaped by this environment. Yes, we are still sinners. Yes, we are still broken. Yes, we still need God's grace more than ever. We are in a new place. And those commandments given by God in this new place now go from just being something that we have to do to almost being a promise. When Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's hard to do sometimes. But think about it as a promise. You're dwelling with Christ now. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that our calling? Isn't that our a promise? As people of God, to love one another fully and to be fully loved. Isn't that the promise of God in our lives? For what purpose are we saved? The end of Ephesians 2.10, it gives us some insight. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works for which God prepared in advance for us to do. Good works have nothing, absolutely nothing, to do with God's love or acceptance of us. But they have everything to do with God's purpose for us. As we dwell in the house of Christ, God's Spirit works and moves and flows through us. And God is able to bring forth those good works out of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, and we thank you for your grace for us, for your love, which is boundless, which is amazing. Lord, you have moved us from one realm to another, from the world of self 
interests and focus, and you have moved us to a new realm where we live in Christ. We have died, and we have risen, and we have new life in you. Lord, sometimes we long for that old house. Sometimes we, we think that life hasn't changed, but you have created us anew, and you are creating us anew each and every day. Lord, help us to open our eyes, our eyes of faith, to see the new home where we live to give thanks, to know that you love us, to know that we don't have to prove ourselves to you because you can't love us anymore. But Lord, that environment, that reality, that world around us, that new way of being can't help but affect who we are. Lord, thank you for the call that you have in our lives to be your people, to live in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.